to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers, invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 71st edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm Jim Calloway, director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Today, our topic is, is virtual lawyering on the decline? Sharon and I are happy to welcome as our guest, Bob Ambrosi, our longtime friend and fellow faculty member at ABA Tech Show. Bob Ambrosi is a Massachusetts-based lawyer and writer. He has been reporting on legal technology and the legal web for more than two decades now. He writes the blog, Bob Ambrosi's Law Sites, and is co-host of the legal affairs podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, also here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome, Bob. Thank you, Jim, and thank you, Sharon, for having me. I'm really honored to be here. Well, thank you. This feels quite incestuous with all these co-hosts here <laughs> of Legal Talk Network podcasts. But we actually do go back with you quite a while, uh, long before there was a Legal Talk Network, actually. And so I wanted to talk to you about the 2013 ABA Legal Technology Survey Report, a very long name, which found this year that the number of lawyers who describe their law practice as virtual has actually declined. Can you tell us exactly what the survey found? Yeah, it's this is the uh, ABA Legal Technology Survey report that they do every year, and they look at technology across the board in law practice, from from cloud practice to how, what kinds of computers lawyers have in their office and and whatnot. They did have a section on virtual law practice. They have for a few years, and what they found is that compared to 2012. Uh, the number of lawyers who describe their practices as virtual went down slightly. It went down uh, this year, 2013, 5% of respondents said that they have a virtual law practice. Last year, it was 7%. But I, but I have to add that in 2011, it was only 3%. So it's it's really hovering around that that low number. But that's where we are. Can you define what it means exactly to describe a law practice as virtual? <laughs> I was going to ask you that question, Jeb. I mean, that you know, that's part of the problem here. I think in terms of understanding, I, I think in terms of the survey results, that may be part of the problem. The, the survey itself uh, asked lawyers that question. It, it it asked them what they consider to be the defining characteristic of a virtual law practice. They asked the, the lawyers who described themselves as having that, and. The majority of them, 58%, said that lack of a traditional physical office is what makes their practice virtual. Uh, so maybe that's the Starbucks lawyer, the home office lawyer. 52% said minimal in-person contact with clients. 46% said use of web-based tools for client interaction. And then a much smaller percentage mentioned the use of secure uh, client portals and extranets, or things like offering unbundled legal services. You know what? It, it's interesting because uh, there are all sorts of definitions out there. And uh, I, I was reading uh, recently a, a Virginia bar ethics opinion. Now, Sharon, you may well be uh, familiar with this. That deals with oh, yes. there've been a couple there that deal with virtual <laughs> yeah. law practice out of Virginia. 
Uh, and, and this one in particular uh, was just sort of addressing the question of, of lawyers practicing virtually. It, that opinion defined virtual law practice as something that involves a lawyer or firm interacting with clients partly or exclusively via secure internet portals, emails, and other electronic messaging. Well, there's a definition that could describe just about every lawyer in the United States these days. So, you know, I think this problem of defining virtual is is part of the problem with understanding just how prevalent or or unprevalent it really is. Well, you know, in the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of attention paid to the idea of virtual law practice, and we see it all the time in CLEs. Do you think these survey findings suggest it was all just a flash in the pan? Or you know, I'll, I'll give you my view is that it, there's probably a more limited growth potential, at least in the near term, than what we thought, um, as opposed to being a flash in the pan. But what would you say, Bob? Well, I think you're right. I think the growth potential is limited. I, I do. I keep falling back to this definition concept because it, it, on one hand, I think that many more of us are practicing virtually. I mean, in a sense, virtual law practice is, is commonplace in that we're all using cloud-based technologies in one way or another. And, and many of us are using client portals. You know, if you look at the, at the ABA survey, for example, uh, uh, you know, that's something that there's some frequency in, in lawyers using uh, portals. The, the problem may be uh, selling it a little bit. I thought it was interesting. Stephanie Kimbrough, who I know you, you had on your show recently talking about her new book, and I think it's on lawyer marketing online, essentially. Uh, but she's, of course, well-known in, in virtual law practice and as a, as a kind of a proponent of virtual law practice and of doing it herself. She just posted recently on her blog a study that she did for uh, a research group looking at the extent of, to which online legal services are being offered. And her study found similarly to what the ABA did, which is that there's really very little growth in at least what lawyers are defining as virtual law practice, that, that clients, clients may be ready for it, but it may be, she says, maybe may that the lawyers aren't quite ready for it or don't quite know how to deal with it. So I think that there is, I don't think it's a flash in the pan. Uh, you know, uh, earlier this month, uh, the law firm Jacoby and Myers announced that it's expanding to Europe and that much of its European expansion is going to be based using uh, online legal services offered throughout uh, the UK and other parts of Europe. This kind of stuff is happening and it's happening more and more, but it's not, it's not taking off by leaps and bounds as we might have thought a couple of years ago. The ABA survey also asked lawyers about whether they offer unbundled legal services. I know many of us have kind of equated uh, that with a, a, a facet of virtual law practice. What did the survey find out there, and how does this relate to our major topic of virtual law practice? The survey asked lawyers whether their firms offer unbundled legal services. I, I, they didn't clearly define what unbundled legal services means. Of course, the ABA has, has at least sort of endorsed this idea. But 35% of the lawyers who responded to the survey said that their, their firms do uh, offer unbundled legal services. Solo lawyers, uh, small firm lawyers are much more likely to say that they offer unbundled services. 45% of solos say that they offer unbundled services. 39% of lawyers and firms of two to nine members. 
And when you get up into the larger firms, the larger the firm, essentially, the, the less likely it is that, that they're going to say that they offer unbundled legal services. You know, what that has to do with virtual law practice is that a, a key facet of virtual law practice is the ability to offer unbundled legal services, providing, say, just a, just a document through an online, uh, uh, through a website or through a portal of some kind, as opposed to a full representation, helping a contract, helping a client with a contract, perhaps, but not the full transaction. That type of thing is very common, but it's, you know, erroneous to equate unbundled legal services with virtual law practice because unbundled legal services are happening in all sorts of other ways uh, that have nothing to do with virtual law practice. I know here in Massachusetts where I practice, there's a, a standing order of the courts that allows lawyers to provide limited assistance representation in certain civil, civil matters. I mean, essentially that's an unbundled legal services where you go in and help a client on just one aspect of their case rather than taking on the whole case. So they're not synonymous. But they do play into each other, and unbundled legal services is certainly prevalent among lawyers who, that small number of lawyers who call themselves virtual. When we talk about the kinds of lawyers who are most likely to have virtual practices or to offer unbundled services, it seems to me that not only would they more than likely be solo small by and large, not, not completely, but they'd also be tech savvy. They, they would love technology, which most lawyers distinctly do not. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that, Bob? Well, I agree with that. Again, uh, the survey found that solo lawyers are the most likely to describe their practices as virtual law practices. They're still not a huge number. It was 7% and actually down against that was also down slightly from 2012, where it was 11%. And again, the higher you go up, in size of firm, the less likely, less likely it is that they're going to describe themselves as having a virtual law practice. You know, my experience, you know, you, met, you talked about Tech Show uh, earlier in this, in this broadcast. My experience over the years, and I've been following technology for a long time, is that solos and small firm lawyers often are the most innovative. I, I, I sometimes bristle when I hear people say that lawyers are are not tech savvy uh, or are slow to adopt tech. I think that's certainly true of some lawyers, but I've always found that solos and small firms are much more likely to experiment uh, and explore new technologies that can help them be more efficient or help them save more save money or help them deliver their services more effectively. Virtual law practice is a is a way of doing that. I mean, the, you know, I'm not talking here again about the Starbucks lawyer, but the idea that you can use online tools to be more efficient in the way that you work with your clients and the way that you deliver services to your clients. Even things like, you know, billing and, and just having a portal and making, making documents available to them uh, more easily are all things that make sense for a small firm and can make the firm run much more efficiently. Since you mentioned client portals, I think that's really an interesting topic. I see a lot of lawyers who are really concerned about the security of cloud computing, but think nothing of mailing attachments in the email that we all know is insecure. Uh, to what extent are you, do you believe that lawyers are now offering client portals for sharing documents through their website? And, and are there other ways they're using these client portals? Interestingly, the uh, use of client portals is one area that's definitely gone up in this year's survey. This year, overall, 25% of lawyers in, in the ABA survey reported that they offer 
their clients access to some sort of a secure client portal, and that's up from 20% in 2011. And this time, it's kind of the other way around. The, the larger the firm, the more likely they are to offer clients access to a secure portal. In, in firms of 100 or more attorneys, 60% of the respondents in this survey said that they have client portals. This probably goes somewhat hand in hand. I, I, I don't know if it's a chicken or egg situation, but I think we've seen over the last few years more and more lawyers using, especially in smaller firms, using these cloud-based practice management technologies, the Clio's and Rocket Matters and uh, Firm Centrals of the world. And those practice management platforms obviously offer, some of them offer client portals in varying degrees of uh, sophistication, uh, some that uh, are, are highly sophisticated in terms of communications with client, access to documents and billing, some that are much more rudimentary. But I, you know, I think that obviously lawyers are using the cloud more, uh, and that's driving uh, more a greater degree of comfort on the lawyer side with using these things. You, know, you mentioned the ethical implications, Jim, and uh, while there are certainly ethical issues and security issues and confidentiality issues to be concerned about, every every state bar, and I think we're up to sixteen now state state bars ethics panels that have ruled on this issue have said that lawyers may ethically use cloud computing and uh, client portals and all of those kinds of things uh, provided they you know exercise some degree of due diligence in selecting a proud cloud provider and ensuring that the provider meets minimum standards of, of security and, and confidentiality. I've heard Sharon talk about the terms of service uh, quite a bit, and, and that's something to be very careful of here. So, you know, I think all of that combines to, uh, you know, as we're saying, virtual practices maybe are declining. This kind of thing is, is actually on the rise and on the increase. And I don't know how that fits into <laughs> the decline of virtual practice, but we're seeing much more use of client portals. Well, you're right. That's certainly my constant refrain. Read the terms of service. Read the terms of service. Read the terms of service. And they never do, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe with a few of these ethics opinions out there, they ought to start doing that. <laughs> All right. Let's move to our commercial break. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking to Bob Ambrosi, the author of the blog, Robert Ambrosi's Law Sites, and the co-host of the Legal Affairs podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, here on the Legal Talk Network, about whether virtual lawyering has declined. Bob, I have this pet theory that the common meaning of the word virtual may deter some lawyers from self-identifying as virtual and might even be off-putting to potential clients. I mean that virtually being a lawyer sounds like almost a lawyer, but not quite a real lawyer. 
Would terms like mobile lawyer or home-based lawyer be easier to explain to clients? Or is virtual really a a modern positive selling point for potential clients? (laughs) And it's even worse because they're they describe themselves as virtual practicing lawyers. So they're not quite a lawyer and they're still practicing at it too. They still haven't gotten it right. Um, I don't know if that's off-putting to, to clients to tell you the truth, Jim. I, I don't think, I don't know that home-based lawyers is going to get you much farther uh, or even mobile lawyer. And the fact of the matter is, I think that some lawyers who describe themselves as virtual probably have office space. I mean, they they may well have, I mean, Every lawyer out there has a bricks and mortar location somewhere where they're working from. I don't know that clients think about it so much in those terms. I think clients are more likely to think about what it is they need and what their case is. Virtual law practice only works for certain kinds of cases. Transactional matters work well in a virtual practice or at least certain aspects of transactions. But you know, if you're a criminal lawyer, you're not going to be a virtual lawyer. If you're a, a, a divorce lawyer, you're not going to be able to practice law virtually. So I think clients are looking for somebody who fits what they need. And I think in some cases, they may be attracted to somebody who is virtual. I mean, I, I've had clients in my own experience who've, who have come to me because they see me on Twitter and blogging and all of that, and they want somebody who's tech savvy. So maybe being a virtual lawyer says you're tech savvy in some way, and that could be a selling point for the right case or the right client. I think the labels are are perhaps misleading here, and and I'm not sure the clients think about them as much as as much as we do. You know, Bob, one of the things that I do is is kind of unusual for those of us on the lecture circuit is that I actually lecture a lot to law schools, and one of the things the law students are always asking me is is a virtual law practice really a viable business model for a law firm? How would you answer that question? Uh, maybe get a real job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think it is yet. I, I don't think it is unless I think you have to have a high volume, quick turnover business to make it work. I, I you know, there are platforms out there. You know, Richard Granat has a platform that he markets. Uh, Jim, you can help me. I'm blanking on the name of it if you know the name of it. Uh, but uh, where where he can sort of set you up with a virtual law practice and and help you uh, market uh, your documents and and create documents uh, through a virtual portal. Very nice platform, but again, it, you have to have people who want those documents. I think it becomes a tough sell because a lot of, as we know, a lot of potential clients aren't even going to lawyers anymore. They're, once they're online, they're going to sites that let them do it themselves or download a document. Uh, and we as lawyers can bemoan the fact that they're doing that and, and worry that they're uh, not getting, uh, you know, you're getting what you pay for, essentially. The point at which clients know they want a lawyer, then they want a lawyer. They want often want that face-to-face contact or somebody they you know can have a conversation with. Yeah, you can do that by Skype, uh, video calls. Even a virtual lawyer can do that. But I think a client, I think a client has trouble getting their their arms around. It. I think I think they think of a, a lawyer. Again, if any of us who practice law know, sometimes you're as much a a counselor as a lawyer in the sense that. Clients want to come in and talk to you and, and, and have a relationship with you. So I, I think it's a tough sell. 
I think you you were referencing Direct Law, Richard. Yeah, Grant's thank you very much. Yes, Richard. That that's his platform, and yeah. I'd love to have Richard on sometime and Stephanie because I bet they would argue with you. <laughs> well, I don't know because uh, actually I was I, I was mentioning earlier in this call that I was reading Stephanie's blog and she she's just written this report. Uh, I can I I have her blog post up in front of me right now, and she says uh, you know she's she's talking in this report she analyzes why law firms have been slow to adopt this idea of online legal services and that lawyers you know that it's not gaining a lot of traction in in the legal field uh you know lots of other thoughtful people are are saying that i am not saying it's not going to happen but i think for somebody just out of law school uh just starting out i think it's a tough way to uh make a living you know, my concern, Bob, is that somebody just out of law school who would do that isn't going to develop the skills that they need to serve them later in their career as well. So to me, it seems like a better model for a, a semi-retiring or a part-time lawyer rather than somebody directly out of law school. I agree with that. And, and you know, one of, the, one, of the, what's, one of the most important skills in being a lawyer is learning how to communicate with clients and, and listen to clients and understand them. If you look at some of the uh, some of the ethics opinions that are out there, that's about on virtual lawyering. That's one of the concerns the ethics boards raise: is how effective can you be at at communicating with a client when it's all virtual? And again, you know, okay, yes, there's Skype, and and we all communicate a lot by email, but there are just those times when those things don't work, especially when you have people who are having serious legal problems. When do you think it makes sense for a client to decide to hire a virtual lawyer over one with a brick and mortar office? When the shoe fits. Again, I think, I think a lot of it is going to be somebody who has a, either a, a specific transactional need where you're not comfortable buying the uh, canned form off of uh, uh, one of these self-help legal sites. You know that you need some guidance from a lawyer. You have some specific issues but it's sufficient to deal with the lawyer online through, through whatever forms of communications and let the lawyer get that done for you. A number of transactions. I think some estate planning. Uh, there's a, I recently reviewed on my blog a, a great new platform called a, a state map, which makes it much easier for an estate planning lawyer to, a estate planning lawyer essentially just invites a client to come, come to this portal uh, or this, this uh, website and they uh, fill out some Questionnaires. I'm a little more sophisticated than that, but you, you, it's a, a you guide it guides the client through a series of questions, and then provides the lawyer with essentially all the lawyer needs to draft an estate plan, or at least ninety percent of it, uh, and the lawyer can work from that. So you know, transactional based things, things that don't require going into court, things that don't require face to face contact, uh, those can work well uh, for a client in a virtual setting. It seems to me one of the most devilish questions is an ethics question, and, and that is, you know, we have got ethics rules that restrict lawyers to practicing only where they're admitted. So do virtual lawyers cross the ethics line when they take clients over the internet? Well, they do if they take clients other than where they're admitted to practice, of course. You know, the, it, gets, it gets kind of muddy. Uh, we alluded earlier to these Virginia opinions. One of the uh, Virginia opinions that came out on virtual lawyering dealt with a, a lawyer who was uh, admonished in some way. I, I, I forget exactly whether uh, whether it was just a slap on the knuckles or, or something more, but uh, he 
essentially was a virtual lawyer who pretended to have physical offices. He had one physical office, but he, he made his uh, network of, of uh, law offices sound much broader than it was. Now, he wasn't necessarily practicing in jurisdictions where he wasn't admitted. In fact, he was an immigration lawyer, and you know, uh, I'm not sure that even applies there. Uh, but he was portraying himself as something other than he was. He was portraying himself as kind of a, a firm with a number of offices, a number of lawyers, when really it was him, and he farmed some work out to some other people now and then. So that, that's probably a big part of the ethics danger here, is, is misrepresenting yourself as a virtual lawyer. And the, uh, the jurisdictional issue also comes into play. Some states just require you to have a physical office somewhere. You have to have an office address. This is a, there's been a New York case on this dealing with virtual law practice. If you're going to advertise yourself in New York, you have to have a physical office address. And that office address has to be in New York. If you're actually sitting in Connecticut somewhere engaging in a virtual law practice taking clients in New York, even if you're admitted in New York, you may have some issues there. It's really muddy. And uh, it's not as simple as, uh, you know, uh, me being a Massachusetts lawyer sitting in Hawaii representing Massachusetts cases. It's just not that easy. The, the uh, rules haven't been all ironed out yet. There are a number of, number of other ethics issues as well, too. I mean, we've, we've already touched on some of them, but this whole communication issue is, is a big one. And of course, the cloud computing aspect of it is, is a big one as well. The idea that if you're using all of these cloud-based tools and virtual tools, you really need to make sure that you've vetted them all and that your client's documents are going to remain confidential, that they're going to not be destroyed, that you're not going to lose access to them should one of your vendors you know, suddenly go bankrupt overnight and disappear. So there are a lot of concerns for uh, lawyers who practice virtually and in the cloud. You know, the one point on which I think that the, the handful of opinions I've seen on, on virtual lawyering and, and all of the opinions on cloud lawyering all say that they agree on is that the same rules apply. Uh, the, the, the rules that apply to brick and mortar law practice apply to virtual law practice in the same way. And lawyers have to be very cognizant of how they can be sure they're complying with those rules. Well, with that last question and answer, uh, thank you for taking us swimming through the mud. Because <laughs> 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 it really is not very clear yet, and, and there's a lot of controversy about all of those issues. But it was a very thoughtful discussion today, Bob, and I know our listeners enjoyed it and uh, learned something about virtual lawyering because I know many people listen simply because they don't understand exactly what it is and what they can or can't do with it. So thank you very much for being our guest today. Well, I'm very honored to be here, and maybe we can get you on our show sometime. We'd be delighted. (laughs) And that does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. Thanks for listening to the Digital Edge, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway for their next podcast covering the latest topic related to lawyers and technology. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, 
agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.